So my earliest memory of the Ten Commandments actually isn't from any time in church. You see, our family didn't really go to church. And so the earliest memory I have was actually of watching the movie, The Ten Commandments, the, the film by Cecil B. DeMille that was starring Charlton Heston. And I remember there's this one moment in the movie, after God has freed his people from Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai and he calls Moses to go up onto the mountain. And it's there that God gives him the Ten Commandments. And the scene for a little kid was actually quite frightening because God comes down on the mountain in this great thundercloud and, and this pillar of fire. And then he speaks out of the fire and says things like, thou shalt have no other gods. And as he does that, this like flame of fire comes out of the pillar and burns the words into the stone tablets. And the whole time, Moses is clinging for dear life to a rock, trying not to fall off a cliff. And that, that scene, that moment actually shaped how I read the Ten Commandments for a long time afterwards. And, and it's only now kind of reflecting back on, on how I thought about the Ten Commandments that I realized that moment caused me to add something to the end of the commandments every time I read them. You see, every time I read the Ten Commandments, I read them as, Thou shalt not, or else. Thou shalt not have any other gods, or else. Thou shalt not commit murder, or else. Thou shalt not covet, or else. You see, I came to believe that the commandments were kind of like this rule book for relating with God. And that if I didn't keep these commandments perfectly, something bad would happen to me. And that really kind of shaped not just my view of the commandments, my view of religion. This, this idea that, that in order to have a relationship with God, you need to keep his rules or something bad will happen to you. You see, thinking about it, what I realized is that my view of God had profoundly shaped how I approached his commandments. My view of God profoundly shaped how I approached his laws. It shaped how I read the Bible. It shaped how I thought about what it, mean, what it meant to have a relationship with him and, and how I lived out my faith. You see, the reason I bring that up is because we're about to embark on this journey of reading through the Ten Commandments together. And, and as we do so, we have to start by getting our picture of God right. Which is why if you actually look at that moment in the Bible— God begins the Ten Commandments in a really interesting way. You see, if I were to ask most people uh, what the first commandment is, most of us, I think, would, would say this. You shall have no other gods before me, citing Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. But what's really fascinating is if you go back to the very beginning of Exodus chapter 20, you realize something very interesting. In fact, it's something that the ancient rabbis understood. You see, they read Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, which says, And God spoke all these words, saying. You see, the ancient rabbis looked at that and they said, Well, wait a second. It doesn't say commandments, it says words. God spoke all of these words. And so their question became, so what was his first word? And the first word that God speaks to them it's actually what we find in verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You see, before God ever spoke a single commandment to his people, 
he actually wanted to get their perspective of him right. He makes a declaration about himself and and who he is. And in fact, Exodus chapter 20 verse 2 is a summary of what he says in Exodus chapter 19. See, God understood that, that, he want, that the people, if they were going to receive his commandments in the way that he intended them, they needed to first understand a little bit about who he is and why these commandments are given. Right here in, in Exodus 22, it says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And, and before this, in Exodus chapter 19, he says this to the people. It says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, the first thing that God wants us to understand is, first of all, the ways in which he's provided for us. What's so beautiful is before God ever gives them a law, he reminds them of what he's done. He says, remember, I'm the God who saved you. I'm the God who, when you found yourselves... Bound in chains in Egypt, I'm the one who came, who broke your chains, who rescued you from the hand of tyrants, who led you through the Red Sea and brought you on eagles' wings to myself here at this mountain. See, God wants the people first and foremost to understand that he is their savior. And this is vitally important for us if we're going to read the Ten Commandments well because it reminds us that before God ever expected anything from us, before he ever asked us to do anything, he rescued us. See, the first thing God desires his people, you and me to understand, is that he is our Savior. And that anything that he calls us to do in light of that is simply an afterthought to his primary purpose, which is to redeem us. In fact, this is a theme that's actually picked up even in the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament idea that when you look at Jesus, one of the things that the New Testament writers say is they say this. They said, God showed his great love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even those of us who, who are Christians need to recognize that any command that Jesus gives is given in light of first what he has done for us. That our God is a God who saves us out of his love. Going back to the Exodus story for just a few moments, this is actually something that God said over and over and over again to Pharaoh through Moses. Every time Moses would come to Pharaoh and, and tell Pharaoh to let his people go, he'd say, this is what the Lord God says. Let my son Israel go. Let my firstborn Israel go. Over and over again, God is reaffirming his love and his desire to save his people. And we need to read the commandments in light of that. But God goes on. He says, I didn't just want to save you. I, I wanted to do something else as well. Listen to these words in Exodus 19.5. He says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Now, see, we can read those words and we can say, oh, but see, there it is. God is saying that if we're going to have a relationship with him, we need to keep his rules first. But remember, we, we just established the fact that God says, no, I, I already love you. I already saved you. So what's really going on here in Exodus 19 verse 5? 
What's really going on when he says, if you keep my voice and, and keep my, if you obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. What is he really saying there? Well, to know that, we actually have to kind of go back in and take a look at, the, at this text in its original language. Because many scholars have noted that, that that word which we translate treasured possession is a very unique word in the Old Testament. It doesn't just talk about wealth in general. It's actually a unique word which means the king's private treasure. That while the king might be rich and, and have all things, there were certain things that he reserved only for himself. Certain things that were to be truly unique, set aside for his purposes. And, and we kind of see that that makes sense now. When we look at it back again in the English, he's saying, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. God is saying, look, I, I own everything, but you, you my people, I want you to be something special to me. See, the best way to think about what God is saying here is really God is making a proposal to his people. You know, that in, 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 rom in romantic relationships or actually any relationship in which we love another person, we find that we want to do things for them, right? That, that, that when we f uh, find that we love a person, that we care about them, we start to find ways to serve them, to give them gifts, to, to go take them out to their favorite restaurant and stuff like that. But at some point in the relationship, we kind of want to know, do they love me back? Are they willing to make this relationship exclusive? See, I remember that moment uh, in my dating relationship with, with my now wife. We'd been uh, together for about a year and a half. And, and as our relationship grew, I just suddenly came to this moment where I said, you know, I really don't want this relationship to end. And so what I did is, is one December evening, I, uh, I, I uh, invited her over to our apartment and, and we ended up going out then to dinner. And then after dinner, we went over to um, kind of a special spot on the University of Illinois campus. And it was there uh, in this place where we had walked so many different times, where we'd had so many different conversations that I got down on one knee and I asked her to be my wife. You see, I, I wanted this relationship to be different from all other relationships. I wanted to know, did she love me back? And the greatest gift that she gave me is she looked at me and she said, yes. She said, I do want this relationship to be exclusive. And what that meant is that meant promising herself to me, <laughs> promising to be my wife. And on our, our wedding day, we sat there and we looked at cross uh, at one another and we made vows to each other, promises, things that we would do to show that we loved one another. We, we promise to, to love one another in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. We made these promises because the love was something that we wanted to express and bind ourselves to. We wanted this relationship to be different from all other relationships. See, God is making a proposal here. He's saying, look, now, I've, I love you. I saved you. And if you keep my commandments, that's the way that I'll know that you love me in return. That you'll be my treasured possession, my special people. And again, this is, a, this is a beautiful theme that we see picked up over and over and over again in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself says something very similar on the night that he was betrayed. That as he's preparing to go and, and meet his death, as he's preparing to go to the cross, he issues some final words to his disciples. And this is one of the things that he says in John chapter 14. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Now notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you keep my commandments, I will love you. He says, no, he says, no. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says, if you truly love me, if you truly trust me, you're going to obey the words that I've given to you. And really, to read the Ten Commandments, we need to understand that that's exactly what the commandments are. It's saying, I know that my God loves me, that my God saved me, and because he saved me, I trust him. And I see the words that he gives me as good gifts designed to strengthen my relationship with him, to help me to live in light of our love. See, that's something that is foundational to these commandments. God doesn't issue these arbitrary rules just so that we feel like we have to jump through a bunch of red tape to have a relationship with him. He's saying, no, look, I love you so much. I'm going to give you words that you can live by. That's how we have to understand the Ten Commandments. They are words to live by, words which will guide us and help us to understand what it means to do life with God. There's one last thing that God tells us before he even gives the Ten Commandments to his people. One last thing that actually I think helps us to understand how we can walk with him. And that's he reveals his purposes to us. Again, back to Exodus 19 for just a second. He says, look, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. And then listen to this. Exodus 19, verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, what does that mean? Well, again, we have to go back to kind of ancient times. You see, the priest in ancient Israelite culture, he was the one who stood in God's presence. He was the only one who could go into the center of the temple, the place that was considered the hot spot of God's presence. And, and he was the one who had a, the closest relationship with God. But the priest had another job as well. And that was that he was supposed to represent God to the people. The priest would then, would not only come into the holy place to offer sacrifices and prayers on behalf of the people before God, but he would then come out and he was to lead the people in God's ways. He was to represent God to his nation. And what God is saying here is he's saying, look, my, I, I saved you. I've set you apart for myself and my desire now is to send you. Why? So that other people can also have this kind of love relationship with me. When God says you are supposed to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, what he's saying is he's saying, I have a purpose for you. And that is to go out and represent me and my character and my purposes and my love to a world that doesn't yet know me. That's what it means for you to be a kingdom of priests. It's a call to mission. It's a call to representation. And that's important for us to really understand because what, what it's basically saying is that these commandments aren't just given for us. They're not just given for our good. They're also given for the good of our neighbors. That as we go out and we live according to these words, it's actually going to transform how we view our communities. It's going to transform how we view our neighbors. It's going to transform how we treat them and enter into relationship with them. And again, this is a theme that's picked up by Jesus himself. That just before he ascended into heaven, after he rose again from the dead, what does he tell his disciples? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus says you are called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You are called to represent me to your friends, to your neighbors, in your communities, in the countries that you go to. And, and these words, these words that God gives us, these Ten Commandments, they actually are meant not only for our benefit, but for those that we're called to love, that we're called to serve. One of the things you're going to see as we move through this series is how not only is this good guidance for us, but actually it moves us outward into loving service toward our neighbors. Because you see, we live in a world that desperately needs transformed people and transformed communities. We live in a world that desperately needs to know God's love, God's mercy, God's justice, God's peace, God's shalom. And right here in these words, what we're getting is a framework for life lived on mission with God for the benefit not only of ourselves and our families, but for our communities. That other people might come to see the goodness and the mercy and the love of God. And so as we move through this series, we're calling these not just the Ten Commandments, we're calling them the Tender Commandments. Because it's in these words we discover the love that God has for us and the love that he has for our neighbors. It's as we study these ten words that we learn what it means to live in light of our salvation. To live side by side with the God who loves us. And to step forward courageously in mission as we serve the communities to which he sends us. And so as we dive into this series together, as this weekend we kick off this new way of living, I think it's only right that we do so by going to the Lord in prayer. Would you close this message by praying with me? Lord God, we give you so much thanks that you are not a God who just lays arbitrary rules in front of us, not a God who throws up fences or walls, not a God who seeks to intimidate, but rather a God who saves, a God who loves and a God who sends. Lord, we pray that as we look at your Ten Commandments, we would indeed see your provision. We'd say yes to your proposal. And we'd go forward with your purposes. Lord, help us to know that these are commandments that are, yes, words for us to live by. But words that are also given that we might serve. That we might bring your transformation into our communities and into the places in which you send us. And so, Lord, help us to have eyes to see you. Help us to have ears to hear you. Help us to have hearts to receive your words, that we might live lives that give glory to your holy name. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen.